Hey, you're watching and you're listening to the Heidi Ruscio podcast, a place where you're going to hear compelling stories from female leaders, creators, and innovators. Except today, it's a little different because we're going to hear from a guy. That's right. But you are going to absolutely love this guy. I first was introduced to him back, gosh, this was in college. And we used to watch this show that would come on and it was called Trading Spaces. In fact, I had always loved design. I always loved doing things on a budget. Trading Spaces really gave me that opportunity to go, yeah, I'm going to try this. And of course, I was in college. So, you know, I did not have much money. In fact, I remember Trading Spaces inspired me one time for my dorm room. I'd always do different themes. And so one theme, I really just wanted it to feel like naturey and I don't know, real beautiful and almost ethereal. So I took these plain like see-through drapes, just white drapes. And then I hot glue gunned little butterflies all over this window so that my hope was, you know, when you were looking through and the sun was shining through, it almost looked like these butterflies were floating in the air. So uh, thank you, Trading Spaces. Maybe I should apologize to my roommate. I don't know. Um, but Vern is started off on Trading Spaces, but then he went on to be a part of so many other shows that you probably remember him from. He was a judge on HGTV's Design Star. He also was a host of several shows, Bang for Your Buck, Deserving Design, and Urban Oasis. And then Vern has gone on to so many other different opportunities since then. He has his own line on uh, HSN. I don't know why I can't say that. HSN. Then he also has a new fabric line coming out, which he actually talks to us about. He's also the best-selling author of a book called Design Wise, which gives you such great practical tips on how to design your home. And then he also has a brand new book coming out. And this is one of the things that we're talking about today. It's called Vern Yip's Vacation at Home. And you can probably guess from the name of that book that it's all about how to create this whole relaxing space in your own home. If you're in the Atlanta area or nearby, you've got to come to this event. He's going to be doing this whole night with him where you get to hear more about the book. You get to hear more about how you can create a vacation at home. And it's Thursday, September 12th. It's going to be in Dunwoody at the Marcus Jewish Community Center at 7.30 p.m. And if you want to go, you can get tickets. There's There's a link in the show notes. So just click that link and you can go and see Vern. I guarantee you he is so personable and um, so kind and open-hearted. If you get a chance to meet him, your day is just going to be better. So maybe even your week, your month, maybe even your year. So I hope that you're able to go to that. You know, I went into this interview kind of thinking, oh, this may be kind of cool. We get to hear some behind the scenes of trading spaces and stuff. But what we got out of this interview went so much deeper. And one of the cool things about Vern and his story is that he didn't always just want to be a designer. In fact, he went to school with a double major in economics and chemistry. Yeah, a little far from design. So I talked to him about how he even got to that point where he is now. And it's a really cool and compelling story. Okay, before we get into the interview, I've got a cool announcement. We have the first official sponsor of The Heidi Rue Show. You know how big I am with authenticity and integrity, so this sponsor checks 
those boxes and so many more. She has such a big heart and she really does care for people. Her name is Beth Hawkins and she's an Atlanta realtor. And I know how long and stressful the process of looking for a house or trying to sell a house can be. Beth is somebody that not only knows a lot, she also truly does care for people. It's like that person that's going to sit with you If you are stressed, she's going to be able to calm you. (laughs) That's how Beth is. But you don't have to take my word for it because she's here today. Beth, thank you so much for stopping by and thanks for being such a huge supporter of the show. I love you and I love this show. I really appreciate what it's all about. Um, I feel like your commitment to self-improvement and to supporting and raising up women really resonates with me. It just felt like a perfect fit since that's my approach to business as well. I feel like this is the perfect place to reach women and help people who share our similar values. Years ago, when I bought my first home, I realized that there was a serious disconnect and a lack of information for women like myself, career-minded, independent, building my own life. I wish I'd known that buying a house was as attainable as it actually is, and much earlier in life than I ever imagined. But no one tells you that. I actually got into this business as a result of my experience, and I made it my mission to empower my clients. I do that by building genuine relationships, and I walk alongside my clients and share my knowledge and experience so I can help them attain a home that they might not have even imagined for themselves. I love that. And you have an offer for our listeners in Metro Atlanta area, right? Yes, I do. I'm so excited. Anyone looking to buy a home who mentions this plug will receive a free home tour and a buyer's kit which will demystify the process, answer all their questions, and help them focus in on the right home for them. If they're selling a home, I have a really special offer. I've partnered with my favorite Atlanta interior designer, the amazing Nancy Cost of Nancy Cost Design, to offer the first 10 listeners who contact me a free in-home price evaluation and design consultation. Bringing in a designer before you sell your home to help focus on updates that matter can really make a huge difference in the sales price of your home. And you're an agent with Dorsey Alston, which is locally owned and one of Atlanta's most respected and well-established firms. Yes, I love Dorsey Alston. They offer a level of support for me and my clients like no other firm, and their reputation is impeccable. That really makes a difference when you're in the middle of a transaction, and my clients love them too. There you have it, the official sponsor of The Heidi Rue Show, Beth Hawkins of Dorsey Alston Realtors. Now, you can get in contact with Beth at BethHawkinsATL.com, or you can call her at 404-969-1832 for details on that amazing offer that she shared. Now, let's get this thing started. You were born in Hong Kong, and then you went and studied chemistry and economics. So can you fill in the blanks a little bit for me? What inspired you or led you to design during that time? Uh, you mean all designers don't study chemistry and <laughs> economics? Does that sound weird? Um, you know, it's, it is a very funny story. Um, so uh, I'm Chinese um, American and like so many kids of Chinese uh, parents or Asian parents, um, you know, it's sort of culturally embedded um, very, very early on that you know, we're supposed to become medical professionals. Um, it's just a, it's revered in our culture. Um, you know, it's looked at as a, not only a very necessary part of a healthy society, but also, um, a part that, um, is honorable. It's an honorable profession and 
um, your parents always will feel like you're going to be okay and you'll be able to raise a family if you have the stable income of a medical professional. So it's really, it's encouraged really early on. And I was always a super obedient son. Um, my parents, uh, I was born in Hong Kong, as you noted, but we moved to the U S when I was two months old and my father went from being a biochemist to, uh, being a bus boy at a Marriott. Really? And my mother went from being a child psychiatrist to washing floors at a bank. But they made that sacrifice because they knew what an incredible country we live in, that um, no matter you know where we are today in terms of the political differences and the political strife, um, I think all Americans should always feel pretty united in that this is still the land of opportunity and that you can be really smart and really hardworking in a lot of other countries and not get anywhere. But in this country, you can make something of yourself. You have the, at least the opportunity to make something of yourself if you work hard and uh, you apply yourself. And so my parents always loved that. And so they were willing to sacrifice everything to give me and to give my sister that opportunity. And so when we came to this country, I felt very obligated to follow the outlined path. Uh, they wanted me to be a doctor. They wanted me to be you know, uh, a physician. And so when I went to the University of Virginia for my undergraduate studies, I was a pre-med student and um, very much felt like, okay, I'm going to be studying chemistry. I'm going to be studying economics. Um, you know, these are two very practical mm -hmm. things that will make my parents proud. Uh, and they had known ever since I was a little boy that um, design was really my passion. Architecture was really my passion. And so um, every spring, summer, and winter break, I would work uh, at the National Institutes of Health in the Transmitted and Transfused Viruses Laboratory. I was working on asymptomatic HIV and hepatitis C, and I hated it. <laughs> I Every day I was in the lab, and I was like, why are the walls this horrible shade of yellow? <laughs> why do we have to work under fluorescent lights? Right. It was clearly I was not doing what I was put on this earth to do. And mm -hmm. so two weeks before medical school was about to start, I finally worked up enough courage to say to my mom, you know, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I feel literally like I'm looking down the barrel of a gun yeah. and um, I need to do what's in my heart. I need to pursue what, um, you know, I want to pursue in life because life is so long, you know, I mean, it sounds so cliche to hear these things, you know, you have to pursue your passion, but it really is true That's because true. if work is just work, if work is just counting the hours of the day and making money, that's a pretty bleak existence. Um, and so, uh, my mom of course was great and she was like, well, you should have said something earlier, but go, Aww. go for it. Go for it. She's like, I yeah. support you. So that's how I ended up in Atlanta. I, um, um, I am pay who just recently passed away very, very recently. He's a very famous Chinese American architect who was responsible for, uh, the West Wing of the National Gallery of Art, the glass pyramids in front of the Louvre, you know, one of the most famous architects ever was a friend of the family. And my mom said, we were going to hop on a train and go to New York and you're going to ask him, you know, where to go to school and what you should do and ask him if he'll, you know, mentor you in that process. And so I went and he said, you know, a lot of his greatest, uh, you know, people that were coming out of Georgia Tech, they were graduating, um, you know, with a great work ethic, but also a lot of sound technical knowledge. And so I ended up here in Atlanta and um, I was, I went into the graduate program at 
the Georgia Institute of Technology's architecture school. And I actually double mastered. I simultaneously got my MBA because wow. I didn't want my mom to worry. I didn't want her to worry that <laughs> I was going to graduate and not have uh, the ability to support myself, mm-hmm. to support a family. Um, and so uh, that's how that whole transition happened. And when I finally graduated and I got a job here in Atlanta, that having that business degree was so key because, really? yeah, it was really key because it was, it was kind of at the bottom of the recession and uh, people just weren't hiring, mm-hmm. but they took a chance on me because, um, you know, I had this extra degree and they could always use me somewhere else, I right. guess. And I got a job at the biggest firm in the Southeast and working on, you know, uh, corporate buildings, shopping malls, and convention centers. That's really what they specialized in. And um, I was an architecture intern. And then one day, the head of interior design came up to me and she said, you know, there's something about you that makes me think that you would be an amazing interior designer. I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to give you the corporate headquarters of Disney Cruise to design. And this was just as Disney was launching the cruise division, which was a long time ago. And how big, I mean... Tell us for people that aren't in the interior design world, how big a step is that going from like, wait, I've never done anything like this to designing something for Disney? You know, I think it depends on who you are, um, because there are just like there are all kinds of, um, you know, business people. There's all kinds of restaurateurs. There's all kinds of people in any profession. I think there are some architects who are much more technically oriented and there are some architects that are much more kind of design oriented and I think she sort of picked up on the fact that you know I had the technical know-how but um, I really enjoyed the creative process of you know designing uh, especially you know in terms of how interior space comes together and so that was a remarkable opportunity and I'm always so grateful Um, you know I always say to people I'm not the most I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm not the most talented guy in the room. I'm, but I'm probably the luckiest guy in the room. I always feel like, you know, I've, I've been given the key opportunities at certain points in my life that have allowed me to run with it. And I always say to folks, be prepared when you get the ball, <laughs> Yeah. don't drop it, run with it, mm-hmm. do something with it. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's what a lot of, you know, the parenting that I had been given taught me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took the ball and I ran with it. And, um, and then in 1999, I went out on my own and, um, in the year 2000, I won Southeast designer of the year, oh. which was amazing. And I got my name and face in a lot of magazines and publications back then there weren't podcasts, there weren't <laughs> all, there wasn't social media, right. there wasn't any of that. Yeah. So getting your name and face into a magazine or a publication was a sure. big deal because it, it stayed around. Yeah. And one of those magazines made its way to the desk of the company that was putting together the first season of a show called Trading, Trading Spaces. Spaces. And they said, you know, we'd like you to audition. We want you to come on down and audition. And I said, no, thank you. I Did you? Well, wow, I, I felt at the time that um, my career was just taking off. Mm-hmm. I had just won this huge award. Mm-hmm. 
And they had sort of explained the concept that it was going to be a thousand dollar makeover <laughs> over two days. And I was like, mm, this is good for my career. How? Right. Um, um, because people have to remember, I never had ambition to be on television. It was never something that I was seeking out. Um, and so when people say to me, how do I get on TV? I always say to them, I am the worst person to ask because they almost literally had to like drag me into a kicking and screaming. <laughs> um, but I eventually said yes to the opportunity when they offered me the job because I love the concept and I still love the concept and I've built my entire career on this concept mm -hmm. that great design belongs to everybody, not mm -hmm. just the top rung of the socioeconomic spectrum. Great design has the power to change everybody's life. And people forget that prior to trading spaces, it was really just the 1%, yeah. the top 1% that had access to great design. Mm -hmm. uh, big box retailers were not bringing on designers to do capsule collections. They weren't paying attention to design. People were very accustomed to buying stuff in sets. You buy the dining room set. Right. You buy the yes. sofa with the matching with chairs. The matching chair and everything. the pillows. Exactly. And <laughs> everything. Exactly. It was sort of like there's design for the people who have the money to hire an interior designer and then everybody else just gets to sort of pick from what's available mm -hmm. and that sort of created this culture of keeping up with the joneses you know well if the neighbors are doing this then we should be doing this and um, i'm so grateful that training spaces did come along because all of a sudden i think a lot of folks in the business world a lot of folks in the retail world realized there's an appetite Mm -hmm. There's a big appetite out there for people who want to design their homes, but don't, you know, make six figures or seven figures, you know? Yeah. There are people want to have a nice looking home, even though they still have to like think about putting food on the table and keeping a roof over their head and clothes mm -hmm. on their back. Frankly, I'm part of that population. Mm -hmm. So um, it really kind of uh, took off from there. And I, I now you know, have really sort of dedicated my life and my career to thinking of ways to inject quality, high-end design into people's homes affordably. For me, it's a big, big driver because it's really easy to, to, to put out nice-looking, well-designed product. It's really easy to put out high-quality product. Um, and it's really easy to put out affordable product yeah. It is so hard, <laughs> so hard to put out product that's well-designed, high-quality, and affordable. But that's what makes me excited in the mm. morning. That's what I like to do. Yeah. How do I bring those three things together? Because everybody else can sort of like tackle those other things. But, but what gets me out of bed is this idea of I can make it better. I can offer it for less. And I can make sure that it's not going to break down and just add to this environmental problem that we have. It's those boundaries, right? That do you feel like ignite your creativity even more? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's super fun if a client comes up to you and says, <laughs> you got sky's a limit. sky's the limit. <laughs> yeah, it's super fun, but it's no less fun to be doing it on a budget. Um you know, I mean, I design my own house on a budget um, because I have two little kids. I have an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old. You know, we have lived with 500 pounds of dog. And <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, I, I always think about the fact that I really am the customer, meaning, 
you know, we're a two career household and we are juggling and we have little kids and we have animals and our lives are busy and we just don't have limitless resources to just do whatever we want. So at the end of the day, I want to come home. I want to be relaxed. I want to see something that um, relaxes and rejuvenates and renews me. And I don't want to spend all of my time being delicate around things. I don't want to spend all of my time monitoring my things. I just want to enjoy it and have it look great Mm -hmm. and know that it's going to continue to look great, that it's not so fragile that, you know, it's beautiful for this one moment in time, but, you know, take a pic because it's never going to look like this again. Right. I don't subscribe to that. So, um, this actually was something I was going to ask later on, but since we're talking about it, has that changed, has your philosophy about that changed as you've gone along as you have kids now, uh, or has it always been that way? Because, yeah. and, and your books look beautiful, Vern, Thank but you. then I also know that you have two little kids. So I'm like, there's no way it could be that perfect. Oh, 100% of the time. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, it can be. And it's part Partially, yes, my my views have slightly evolved, although I've always been a designer who emphasizes that, you know, there has to be a practical aspect in addition to the aesthetic aspect. There's always a balance of function and design. There's always practicality with with beauty. But but part of it, part of it is, yes, now I'm a dad and I have these two little kids and all these animals. But the other part of it is that technology and the manufacturing process and the development of new materials has just made it so that we can embrace this kind of lifestyle more. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the fact, uh, for example, everybody is so used to the idea that I can't have a white sofa. There's no way I can have a white sofa. I love how a white sofa looks. It looks great in a magazine. Yeah. Wouldn't last two seconds in my house. But, you know, I just came back from launching my new uh, Inside Out Performance Fabric line. And... Basically, it's the only, it's the, it's the proprietary technology from this company called Inside Out Performance Fabrics, but essentially you cannot stain it. Everything up till now has used the language stain resistant. Yeah. Resistance uh-huh. a powerful word. And it's a very protective yeah. word, uh-huh. meaning like, well, you know, it's just like, I'm, I'm, uh, I like to be age resistant, but doesn't right. mean I'm not going to get older. <laughs> right. I mean, it's still right. going to happen. Right. But this is this is as close to being stain proof as possible, meaning technically you can't stain it. Wow. You can draw on a white sofa, you can draw a, sh- a smiley face with a Sharpie and it'll come out. You oh can spill goodness. red wine, chocolate, mascara. Your dog can have an accident on it. Your kid can, uh, you know, rub their their scraped knee on it. I mean, all of these things can come out. It will stain, but it then can come out just yeah. with either soap and water or uh, diluted bleach. So, um, so it's, I like that. I like putting something like that out into the marketplace because what it means is I can have what I want aesthetically and that I don't have to like monitor everything that's going on in my house. Mm -hmm. I can actually just go home and relax. Yeah. I can have my dog on the sofa. My kids can eat ice cream on the sofa. I can have a friend drink a glass of red wine on my sofa yeah. and not be like kind don't of thinking in the back it. of my head, please don't spill that red yes. wine. So I think that's what life is about. You know, I mean, that's where things have LED bulbs. Another great example. Um, you know, you may not be old enough to remember this, but there was a time when, you know, I, I always remember coming home 
like on these college breaks t- to my mom's house. And w- the very first thing after like getting in th- through the front door and my mom saying, oh my gosh, you're so skinny. Um, <laughs> she would say, before you leave, can you help me change out all the burnt out light bulbs? Oh, you know, because there's yeah. all the recessed lights above mm-hmm. and the burnt out light bulbs. And then we sort of evolved into like longer lasting bulbs, but they were like fluorescent tubes mm-hmm. and nobody looks good in fluorescent. Um, so, you know, it's wonderful now that we have LED technology that has evolved because when it first came on the market, the lighting was really blue and cool. And, mm-hmm. um, but now you have beautiful warm colored LED bulbs that are dimmable that look just as good as the incandescent bulbs that we were all used to. And now you can have that last for 21 to 22 years with average use. So it's really about, again, embracing technology embracing, you know, how to get from point A to point B and, and to be able to come home and enjoy your environment Mm -hmm. instead of always having to have a bucket list of things that you have to like take care of, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, Vern, let's go back a little bit to trading spaces, the, the OG trading spaces, Uh. because you were on it for a couple of years and then you kind of took a break until 2007. So were you on that break? Was that just a time for you to kind of explore stuff on your own or? Well, so I, I was only on the first four seasons Mm -hmm. of the original trading spaces and I left at that point to go to HGTV. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I was on then HGTV for like the next 11 years, Wow. basically, um, until more or less trading spaces came back. Okay. Um, because they rebooted it a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, so for me, I didn't leave the original trading spaces, um, for any other reason other than I was ready to grow. Sure. Um, um, you know, it's a wonderful show, lots of, and it had a long run after mm-hmm. I left. Um, but I went on to HGTV to just sort of, you know, grow. I think it's important to grow and to explore new opportunities. And so there I did nine seasons of a show called HGTV Design Star. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a show called HGTV Urban Oasis, Deserving Design with Vern Yep, HGTV Summer Showdown. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, and they were all great learning experiences for me. I loved doing them all. When Trading Spaces decided to reboot, you know, I thought about it for a second, but ultimately I was really thrilled that um, they were bringing it back. I think it was part of this whole reboot craze mm-hmm. where so many people were just really kind of craving comfort food. Yeah. Um, people wanted to to see the familiar yeah. again. and Well, there's so many options now, too. It almost feels good to go, wait, no, I know that's a tried and true. So I really like that. At least for me, that's the case. Is I, I want to know, sometimes when I go through and I see all these different options, trading spaces, yes, I know for sure that is wonderful TV, that my heart will feel full, that I'll learn something, yeah. that the the same wonderful people that you know captured our hearts years ago are back there. And I don't know if that's the case for other people or maybe why the, the reboots are happening. But That's a good point. I think that's part of it. I mean, now... I mean, you can watch anything pretty much anywhere at any time. It's a completely different world. Um, When we first launched Trading Spaces, there were really just four broadcast networks, PBS, and I think 40 cable channels. Those were your options, (laughs) Um, which, you know, at the time seemed like a lot of options. But compared to today, you know, not so much. I, I think part of it, too, is, 
you know, we sort of feel a little bit, I think the past three, four years have felt a little bit fractured. Mm -hmm. Um, People, we don't necessarily feel as stable as we'd like to feel. And then I think in times like that, you crave for the, Mm. you crave the familiar, you know? Yeah, sure. You mentioned that you learned a lot from the other shows that you did. What do you remember some of the big lessons that you learned? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm not an actor. I'm not, um, I'm not somebody who was pursuing a television career. So it really kind of, um, it was great, you know, boot camp just to really sort of teach me the basics of, of different kinds of television shows, um, how to sharpen myself as, um, as a television host, how to use my voice as a tool, um, how to use, um, you know, camera time wisely. Um, you know, all of that was, was really sort of invaluable. Um, but it was also really fun to sort of understand different kinds of television shows. Trading Spaces was a huge opportunity to kind of be in people's homes across America. I mean, I think we were virtually in every state. But, you know, when you do a show like HGTV Design Star, you're in a studio and it's a competition show and there's a different format. Sure. Um, and, you know, then you're doing, you know, something else entirely. So, you know, all of that was was really valuable and every experience afforded me the opportunity, you know, to kind of launch my brand. Uh, for me, um, it was, it's been sort of a dream to be able to have a brand out there that means something to people that stands for something. Um, and that makes people's lives better. You know, mm-hmm. again, just, you know, as we were talking about earlier, I don't feel the need to put out product just to put out product or to put out a book to put out a book for me there's already so much of that in the marketplace if i'm going to put out a product if i'm going to put out a fabric line or a lighting line or anything uh, or a new book for me it, it's because it fulfills a need and it fulfills a purpose yeah. a purpose of de- delivering something that's really well designed really well executed that has quality and that's also affordable. Um, that really sort of drives everything that I do. Mm-hmm. Looking back at everything, not just TV, but even your own individual um, design projects, what has been one of the most impactful designs that you've done? For many seasons, uh, I had a show on HGTV called Deserving Design with Vern Yip, and that show really focused on unsung heroes. These were people who were um, critical parts of their community, critical parts of their neighborhoods, um, and were giving so much back, but never waving the flag on the corner and saying, look at me and all the great things that I'm doing. Yeah. These were people who were just quietly going about their day and just trying to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was so rewarding to have a show that put the spotlight on them and to then transform spaces for them that they just didn't have time to do, didn't have the resources to do. Um, you know, that for me was probably one of my most rewarding experiences. Mm-hmm. And what about, I know that you've evolved as a designer too, I'm sure over the years. So what is something that you look back and you're like, ooh, <laughs> looking back now, I wish I hadn't done that or, ooh, that I never, I would not make that choice today. You know, it's, it, it's funny because I think, when I was a little boy, it wasn't just sort of the cultural directive that, you know, made my parents sort of say, you know, you should be a doctor, you should be a physician. My mom used to always say to me, I can give you a room full of puppies. You will always 
you will always pick the sickest one. Mm-hmm. She says, that's just who you are. That's what you want to do. You want the puppy that nobody else wants. Yeah. And, um, and so she recognized that in me early on. And I think that I, it's so embedded in me that what I do is not just about um, making the world a prettier place. Although I don't want to undersell that. I mean, I think there's a lot of value to that. I really look at what I do in my profession as improving the quality of somebody's life by improving the quality of their space. For me, that's very, very important to think of in, in that way, to spend the time to figure out what they're not happy with Um, and how can I give them the ultimate space where they can spend the most important moments of the of their lives with the most important people in their lives. And that's really what your home is. Mm -hmm. It's where you spend time with your family and friends, and it should be that ultimate destination for you. So for me, I look back at my designs and I think, um, you know, I've always sort of stayed true to that, to always say, okay, I'm going to invest the time to get to know you. I'm going to invest the time to get to know what's important to you functionally, and I'm going to invest the time to get to know what's important to you aesthetically. Does that mean I look at my designs and think, wow, I love that? You know, no, there are a lot of designs that I do that I wouldn't want in my own home. Right. But I always keep in mind that I'm not living there. Not about you. It's yeah. not about me. And I think, you know, I I don't want to create an environment where, you know, people walk into a space and they ultimately say, oh yeah, that's a Vernip room or, mm. you know, the stamp. I, I would much rather kind of have that ultimate compliment at the end when you show somebody a space or we, when you share a space with somebody that you've done for them to have them say, um, you know, I feel like you crawled inside my head. Mm. I feel like you've known me my whole life. Um, you know, that to me is really kind of the, the ultimate compliment. I mean, I've done rooms that are very like sort of, country and theme I've done rooms I had to do um I had this ultimate challenge on trading spaces where uh I was asked to do a master bedroom for a young couple who had uh, recently gotten married they had the tiniest master ever they definitely wanted to keep their king bed uh so you were just kind of skirting your way around the room (laughs) and because they had just gotten married they wanted it to be transformed into something that was super romantic which you know totally understandable um, but they had two requirements. Um, one, uh, it had to incorporate her entire collection of snow globes. Oh and my gosh. <laughs> two, it had to incorporate his entire collection of baseball bobbleheads. And we're talking and we're talking like <laughs> hundreds. So, you know, wow. did I love that room at the end? <laughs> no, I didn't. Did they love that room in the end? Yes, they did. Wow. And I never would have thought bobbleheads and snow globes would be considered romantic in the least. But no. But everybody has a different definition, though. And that's what that's what I'm here to say. And that's what I hope, you know, where design is really going is that ultimately, you know, it's OK to be you mm-hmm. in your own private space. Your home should be a reflection of you. Yeah. Just like I always say to people, we're so used to this concept now of taking a suit to the tailor or taking a dress to the tailor or taking pants to the tailor and they hem them and they nip and whatever and they cut it so that it 
ultimately it fits you the best possible way. And when you wear something that's been tailored to your body, it feels great. Feels you good. feel great yeah. in it. You feel more confident. You feel better in it. Right. Well, your home is the same mm-hmm. way. Your home should be tailored to you and your family. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but you have a new book out that I just happen to have right here. Oh, how convenient. What in the world? (laughs) Vacation at home. Vern Yep's Vacation at Home. And I love this concept, but I don't want to talk about it. I I want you to share where the inspiration came from, but I love your idea for the book. Thank you. I Um, really do. Well, I, you know, sort of, Riffing off of what we were just talking about, this idea of tailoring your your home to you, I travel so much for work and um, I'm in hotels and properties all over the world and I realized that there were so many things that they were doing that I could then employ in my own home to kind of create that same calm feeling that when I come home, I should be instantly rejuvenated, re-energized and relaxed, which I think all of us should be. And so I started implementing these things in how I design my own home and my clients' homes. And I started noticing what a difference it made. And it's really this idea that your home is the ultimate destination for you. Instead of pining to be somewhere for two weeks of vacation every year, instead of pining to be at a five-star luxury hotel or resort, I want you to be pining to go home and I want you to be relaxed the minute you come home. And I, I say to people, if you come home and there's shoes in the foyer and there's coats on the banister and there's mails and a dog leash and keys stacked on a countertop, you know, it's very difficult to kind of put yourself in that ultimate relaxation state. So the book really s- starts off by by talking about that, that your home should be that place that nurtures you and takes care of you. And if it's not, if you don't think of your home as the ultimate destination to be at and that it perfectly takes care of you, then you should do something to change that. And, you know, it's very, very logical in some ways. So, you know, that first step that we really talk about in the book is, um, you know, only keeping the things that fall into one of two categories. Keep the things that you absolutely need and then keep the things that you absolutely love. Everything else you should consider donating, selling, or giving away because life is too short to just live with things that are okay. And everything that we own sends us a message whether or not you realize it. That message can be, hey, you know, remember me? You bought me when you were on that great trip with your spouse and you guys were like walking down that street. You saw me in the window and you just fell in love with me. Isn't it great that I'm like that reminder of that special time in your life? Or that message can be, hey, you remember me? You bought me because you had like an empty space. I wasn't quite right, but I was on sale. You never loved me. But look, all these years later, I'm still here. Yeah. I mean... So you have control over that messaging and that messaging should be positive and, and it should be taking care of you. So I, I say to folks, let's start off with saying, let's only keep the things that we need and let's only keep the things that we love. Liking something, being okay with something shouldn't be enough. Does it mean you have to toss it out right away? No, but it should mean that you should have some kind of active plan in place so that everything around you is something that you wanna see or something that you need. And creating that foundation for those, those pieces is then important. This idea that you should have a place 
for all of those things to go, okay? Whether it's out of sight or whether it's it's properly or prominently displayed. So the the book talks about like 18 clear ways to get there because me sort of having this broad statement of your home should take care of you. It should relax you. It <laughs> right. should whatever. Everybody can nod their heads sure. and be like, sure. Like, yeah. yeah. But like how, uh-huh. how do I do yeah. it? That's where I like this book to come in because it gives you those specific point by point um, ways that anybody at any sort of income level can eventually work their way there. So you build the foundation with only the things that you love and you need. The second leg of this idea is maintaining the foundation. And it's it's just developing the habits that um, that kind of keep your home uh, in a healthy in a healthy state so that it can take care of you uh, and that you're not constantly scrambling uh, when somebody's about to come over, right. you know, so <laughs> what I don't, I've never done that before and push things into a closet. Oh, <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Me neither. Um, no, I mean, I think when you, when you get the foundation, right, it becomes easy to maintain. And mm-hmm. so that's sort of this idea, you know, I mean, we kind of, we work it into our lives, this idea that we brush our teeth, you know, I mean, it, it's part of healthy living. You know, yeah. you no longer think of that as an right. extra. Like, something you do every day. I'm going to treat extra. myself and I'm going to brush my teeth today. <laughs> Nobody thinks of it Hashtag that way. Yes, exactly. Brush my teeth. <laughs> but, you know, just sort of expand on that idea a little bit. You know, for example, we talk about the importance of making your bed in the morning. People have heard this often that it sort of sets your day right and whatever. But the thing is, if you have 15 decorative pillows on your bed, it's going to be pretty hard to make your bed every day and to do it efficiently. Hey, Bern, shh, my husband is right over there. So let's not talk too much about having too oh. many decorative pillows. Okay. There. I mean, let's the more decorative <laughs> pillows, the easier it is to make I'm up your bed. Kidding. You're so right. Most of the time, those decorative pillows are in a basket on the side of our bed. So we don't have time to put them back on. Yet. Well, so, you know, it's, right. I talk about this idea of, you know, designing your bed so that you have, instead of, you know, three or four or five or six pillows that are just pretty, do one extra large, big pillow in the front, do a statement pillow, and then get it to the point where you can make your bed in 90 seconds, which I can. If it takes more than 90 seconds, then you got too much going on. Yeah. I mean, it's just the idea that, you know, of making life so that you can get through it easier. This Mm -hmm. idea, um, for example, of, of, you know, employing materials that are useful instead of white marble. Look at, look at a quartz that emulates the look of white marble um, because it, you don't have to ever reseal it in right. its lifetime. You don't have to worry about putting something hot on it. You don't have to worry about scratching it. You don't have to worry that your friends spilled their salsa on it. I mean, it's, it's employing things in your life to help you maintain that foundation. Also, those are all sort of critical ways to kind of not only establish a beautiful home, but also keep it looking great easily. Yeah, because I have enough time. The older I get, the more time I have to stand uh, stay on maintenance and prevention for my own self. So yes. I don't have time. To, the older I get, the longer those things take. So I can't do all that to my home, too. No, I'm too with you. Time. It is. Too, it is. It's a lot of time. And so let's 
let's be smarter about it. You know, yeah. working smarter instead of harder so that you can come home and actually enjoy the space that you've created. Yeah. I mean, that's really the point at the end of the day. Right. Well, I love, um, I love the way that you put things, Vern, because what you give, even in your first book, Design Wise, such practical tips that are so easy to go, oh, yes. I learned from Vern, 18 inches coffee table from yep. sofa, you know, just simple things that we all can learn. Um, and I love that because so many times I'm more of a visual person, like I'll know it if I see it, if I like it or not. Um, but oftentimes the reason why I don't like it is probably because it's not <laughs> at the right height from the ceiling. Yeah. So I, I want to show you, okay. you know, so for example, one of the things that is really great about checking into a beautiful hotel or walking into a beautiful lobby are like the beautiful organics, the incredible flower arrangement on the, you know, the, the table or whatever. Yeah. I mean, but guess what? They have like a staff of people to do that and they have the budget to do that. Most of us don't have the staff, although that would be nice. Um, <laughs> and, or the budget. And yeah. so, you know, here we talk about, for example, your, you know, your cut okay. flower options. Cut flowers. Okay, yeah. great. So we talk about okay. the cut flowers. If you want a cut flower option, we talk about all the cut flowers, what colors they come in, and their lifespan. So wow. we give you the ones that last the longest. Uh -huh. um, and then if you, so that you're, you're changing your flowers out less. But then right. we also talk about things like... Um, Orchid plants, which you can purchase pretty much in any grocery store or home improvement store. They range anywhere from $12 to $20 at most places, widely available, and they bloom for eight to nine weeks and they thrive on neglect. So you can have a real blooming flowers in your home for eight to nine weeks. If you give it bright and direct sunlight and you water it every two weeks, it's going to give you that beautiful organic visual and that works out to something like um like 18 or 19 cents a day wow so the That's other thing awesome. is preserved roses mm -hmm. um you know i love preserved roses i hate silk and and like plastic because i feel like i can tell your eyes a very complex machine and it's very sensitive to things like that it can tell right away when something mm -hmm. is not real um but preserved roses are real roses uh, and you can do an incredible arrangement of two dozen preserved roses for about $200. And that lasts at least two years. Mine and my New York apartment have lasted six years. And that boils my down to... My mind is blown right now. And that goes... <laughs> again, real beautiful floral arrangement. Wow. You don't have to change the water. You don't have to do anything to it. It's real roses. It's amazing. And that, again, boils down to like cents a day. In my New York apartment, that's like six cents a day over the course of six years. And I have the most amazing yellow floral arrangement wow. of roses. And they're real and they look awesome. awesome. So it's, it's using those... The book talks about the using those smart tricks so that you can have beauty in your life without having all the extra maintenance in your life because that's how you begin to vacation at home. You know, you're coming home and you're enjoying what's around you and you're enjoying your environment, but you're not having to then spend the time to take care of things. Yeah.
That's so cool. And uh, the book is actually coming out this week. We recorded the podcast a little ahead, but it's coming out the week that your book releases, um, which is so exciting because you guys can get a copy right now. And then also, Vern, you're going to be here in September doing a really cool book event. Um, And we've got all the information. I'll put it in the show notes. We also talked about it at the beginning of the intro and then the outro. So I hope that you guys are have the chance to go and and hear from Vern in person. Um, but Vern, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Um, I loved hearing your philosophy on design and thank you for being so generous with your tips and, and even just how you are on TV. Like you can tell, of course, everyone loves you and I can see why, because you are such a selfless designer and it really does show that you oh really my care goodness. about other people. So well, thank you. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I hope you guys come out to the events. I think it's going to be super fun, um, but I appreciate you having me on today. I have to say it was such a treat to talk to Vern. And one of the things that we didn't get to talk about on the podcast was on one of his episodes of the latest Trading Spaces reboot was he did these yarn globe lights in this master bedroom. They looked amazing. But when I saw it on there, I my stomach started churning because eight years ago when Mike and I got married, we had a big reception in the backyard and I made... I it was 12 or 14 of these yarn globes to go around these white string lights in the backyard. It took forever, but it was so worth it. It looked so beautiful. Everything was set up in our backyard. It was ready to go. No stress. And I was sitting out, like looking out the window. My makeup had already been done. I was just like, I'm just going to take this in. And then all of a sudden, one drop comes down, two drops, and it just starts raining. And those globe lights, those string lights, or string globes, (laughs) there we go, they just started shriveling up. And I started crying. And it was horrible. The rain stopped in time for the guests to get there. But of course, all my hard work on those string globe things were just gone in an instant. I was so devastated. So when I saw Vern doing that, I thought, oh my gosh, I totally remember what hard work that was. So if you haven't caught up on that episode, then you should on the new Training Spaces reboot is from the 2018 season. So something for you to watch this weekend. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Stay tuned for more great episodes coming up in a couple weeks.